Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, yeah. To you live, yeah, Felipe Esparza on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories. This is the uh. Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a standout stand-up comic and the 2010 champion of Last Comic Standing, currently in the midst of the Bad Ombre Tour, with dates upcoming here in Los Angeles and in El Paso, among many others. Hello and welcome, Felipe Esparza. What's up, boom? I feel What's like you, up, I feel like you already have a correction for me. No. Oh, you just I was just getting the point? I was just pointing. I think that I saw um, Shantae or um, the real Shantae, Roxanne, Roxanne. Wait. Like, like early 90s? Remember that song, Roxanne, Roxanne? Who can forget? I want to be your yeah. man. That was, well, that was, that was but, my wedding song. But then um, there was a, then uh, the, there was like a, uh, like a, like a, a like a, tri- what would you call it when somebody writes a song against the other song? Oh, like an answer song. An answer song. Right. Which a girl named Roxanne, the real Roxanne. Mm-hmm. And I think that was her passing by right now. Wow. She had a show on Sirius, too. The stars really have come out to play here at Sirius. I don't know if it's her, but I saw the shirt, and I was like, what? Yeah, not a lot of people probably still wearing that shirt now. Yeah, she had the the same gold earrings. When you got to look, you know? When you got a thing. I like that intro for your show, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was actually an intro for a comedy show? That was, sadly, that was in the belly room. And you you saved it on your phone. That's awesome. Yeah. I've heard a lot of bad intros, man, but that's one of them. That ranks up during the top five, too. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But uh, I think for me, it would be the top one would be I was doing a show, and this guy, for, he didn't bother to ask the comedian for credits, and I guess he didn't have any. And um, and he brought him up like this. Then the gentleman, the next comedian, he lives in a boat. Hey, that's, <laughs> that's, that's better than nothing. Have you ever seen the thing where there's a comedian who uh, – shares the name with another more successful comedian and then you say oh you've seen them on BET and they're like that's not me that's some other guy yeah. I'd, I'd rather come out as boat guy I'd yeah, rather right. come out as the guy with the alternative accommodations than be he lives off the marina <laughs> next to the guy who uh, ro- roller skates on Venice Beach with a guitar next to the guy who lives in a piano <laughs> say hello um, there are two things about you I've seen you many times at the comedy store there are two things about you that I find particularly uh, noteworthy. I gather you enjoy marijuana from time to time. Yes, I do. But I started off sober in comedy. Yes. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about that. You are no longer fully sober in comedy. No. Quite the contrary. I've noticed that when you are backstage at the comedy store, I am. I, hence, I have to hold my breath to go back there. I, I cannot understand. I'm the kind of person where even when I liked smoking weed, even when smoking weed still worked for me, there was like time for me to be productive and then there was time for me to turn my brain off because I yeah. wasn't going to be making a whole lot of sense once I started smoking weed. I, I mean, how do you do it? How do you maintain your composure and make any... Because I know you're not just yeah. going out there. I would be impressed if you were literally just reciting your act, but I know that you're thinking and you're in yes. the moment. Um, I know when I start off the act, like when I, when I first like ran down the jokes and I'm performing, it's pretty much sober. Mm-hmm. I try not to go up there like annihilated, especially if you have to do an hour. It's too much to think and to remember. But if I'm doing ten minutes, fifteen minutes, I don't care. <laughs> right. And I try to be. I, I try to like um, 
I, I know my act, but if I'm too high or too, I try to um, fix it on stage and, and try to add more tags and change the premise or change words, mm-hmm. pretty much start ripping it apart when I'm high. That's why I try not to be too high on stage. Right. But a little bit is probably kind of helpful. Yeah. Like, I've I seen people, like, hit a bowl immediately. I think I saw Doug Benson do his show. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what type of weed it was. Probably was not that good, you know. Are you insulting Doug Benson's weed? No, but um, he smokes a lot. Yeah. So it probably, to him, is like a cigarette, you know, a cigarette oh, break. Oh, right. They said Sinatra used to do that. Sinatra yeah. always had a drink in his hand, but they said Sinatra was also always putting a drink down. Yeah. And then somebody would hand him another one. So it was more the, so yeah, so you're basically saying Doug Benson's a little bit of a poser. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing that I notice, uh, I can't even take credit for noticing it, Sam Tripoli, who we both know very well. Yes. Um, brought to my attention. I don't think I'm the target demographic for your style of comedy, right? And I'm and I'm watching. What's your and, style? Oh, I just like lame, nerdy dudes. You know, I'm kind of like more the Tom Papa, John Mulaney kind of guy. And and uh, and I'm watching you, and Tripoli's like, God, Felipe's just fucking amazing. And I'm like, well, what what's so great about what he's doing right now? And he pointed out quite rightly, you just it's punchline, 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 yes. punchline, punchline. And, you know, people, even people don't know comedy, know it tends to be set up, punch. Sometimes people have to, to get from point A to point B. They just kind of have to talk a little bit. You figure out a way that pretty much every sentence that comes out of your mouth is at least mildly funny. Yes, man. Like, comedy is like music, man. Uh-huh. You got to have the right beats, you know, and uh, bring in the right... So I know that's not, I know that's not accidental. You come across as more of like a laid back, whatever happens. Dude, you put work into this. Yes. Obviously more than most, I would 23 think. 23 years, 22 years, 21 uh-huh. years. I started off deadpan, actually. Oh, yeah? I started off like a deadpan comic. And um, like Stephen Wright, I used to like Stephen Wright. And I wanted to do like that style of comedy because I, I thought that was the funniest. Mm-hmm. You know, just mellow. Yeah. But I was, but um. I kind of like start stop going, turn away, start going to bars where nobody will pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I have to yell. Yeah, I kind of like be an act, mm-hmm. be it physical or paint pictures. So I like the story of. Um, I, I want to talk through a bunch of your pi- biography, but I love the story of how you got involved with comedy. So you had recently cleaned up your life, yes. right? So, like, what the first time you went up and did stand up? Like, what's a joke you would have been doing then? Oh, man. The first time I did stand-up comedy was at the Natural Fudge. And, um... Oh, that's a huge... That's a huge venue. In theater. Right there on uh, Fountain Avenue. Remember, I, I met, I met um, Jamie Kennedy there and Brian Holtz, man. They were, like, young comics. I think Jamie Kennedy was living in his car at the time. And I don't know. I, I followed um, Paul Mooney's kids. Mm-hmm. Mooney twins. I don't know them. I know Paul, obviously. Yeah, Paul Mooney has two kids. Well, twi- they have a lot of kids, but one of them is um, they're twins. They're child actors, and then they did like they did like stand up together, like the Sklar brothers. Yep. And um, yeah, twins, man. You don't see a lot of twins who don't do the the. I'd, I would actually be pretty impressed by twins who didn't need to go up on stage together. Yeah. So they were up there, and they were like improvising and being funny, pretty much killing, and. um then I, I went up after them, and I pretty much um, did the same thing. Started making fun of the audience, too. And got a little bit of laughs. And the owner of the, the theater told me, hey, kid, you're awesome. Come back next week. We're taping a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, I thought, be, like, this is it, right? That I'm easy. done. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a suit. 
were ready. And it was local access, but I didn't know at the time. Uh huh. So That's still it, pretty good. Yeah, it, it aired at one in the morning. The Johnny Roberts Comedy Hour. Mm hmm. So he was just constantly uh, picking up the new talent in town. Yes. Was, whoever was willing to come on yeah. TV at yeah, local access. Yeah, that was one of them. Do they have local access here still? I have no idea if they do because they used to be on um, on local cable, like a, uh-huh. like, it was like a, before the. The cable we have now, I forgot what what, what kind of cable it was. Because in New York, there used to be more of uh, their, you, remember Robin Bird? Yeah, and there was that lady too, right? That lady that would sit there and give advice, psychological advice, in like in in her bikini. That's Robin Bird. Yes, we had that show too. Did you? She was national. Yes, Holy. weird, right? That's and so and crazy. we also had um um these two guys were on Seinfeld on um um Elaine Bennis, mm-hmm. the episode where um. When she she's trying to get a sandwich and she did her name at this um, booking place. One of those two guys that were there, they had their local access show in LA called um 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 I forgot the name of the show, but he interviewed porn stars. And at the end of the show, the porn star would take the top off and start dancing real quick, like with a with like the the light will turn green and you could just see like a green boo bouncing around. And that was the whole reason for sticking yeah. on the whole time. Now, Robin Bird, I remember, was always a little confusing because they would just, okay, it's a half-naked lady. I think I kind of know what we're Laying all here down. for. And then every now and again, they would just have like a male dancer swinging his dick around in one of those little like yes. pouch G-string things. Yeah, and man. I'm like, there's a whole wild, crazy world out there that I'm, I, I, that I, I clearly have no idea about. Yeah, man. So you're not born in America? No. You're from? Sinaloa. Mm-hmm. And took a couple tries to get here. Oh, yeah, man. I can't even remember how many times. So I'm really curious to know, like, I've spent enough time in Los Angeles and in New York, and obviously there's pretty big, like, Mexican communities in each of those places, but, like, what does it feel like to grow up here? Like, what does L.A. look like when you kind of know you're you're not like other L.A. people and you're not technically supposed to be here? Oh, uh, well, we, we, we didn't have that mentality growing up, like, mm-hmm. the, like what you said. We don't think that way. I mean that we don't even that's that's something we don't even think about. We just live our lives like everybody else. Plus, I was a kid, mm-hmm. so I don't know what's going on in the news about Mexicans or Salvadorian at the time. But I know that um, I I never lived in fear like about getting deported growing up. Even though I probably was illegal, mm-hmm. yeah, but I didn't know. Yeah, and um, I went to school like everybody else. But see, I didn't grew I grew up in a predominantly black. And Latino neighborhood. You were from like, Boyle Heights. Yeah, like yeah. the old, and later on after like Vietnam, Vietnamese came in too to oh, our right. house, to our neighborhood. So our house, our neighborhood was everything that America conquered. You know, <laughs> right. so we had blacks, we had um, us, and then we have Vietnamese, and then after um, when they have they were having all those wars in in the, in the Central America, a lot of Salvadorians came in. Mm-hmm. And also Cubans came in too. The Cubans that came to Los Angeles all settled in Echo Park in Glendale. And when I when I spoke to them, why are you here, not Miami? He said, "Well, when it went up, when they were separated, when we were in Miami, there were so many Cubans that they were shipping Cubans to other parts of America." What do you mean we, shipping? So, shipping them? There were too many. But who who would be in charge of shipping? I have people? no idea. Or not shipping, or decide where you want to live uh-huh. when you when you when the when whoever's in charge of um, giving you status to stay here as a, as a resident. Oh, okay. So at a government level. Yeah. So oh, they, right. they they give them choices. I mean, you can't live in Miami. Mm. So you can't live in Miami. So okay, I'm gonna go to Los Angeles. So 
Echo Park became like a big Cuban community. That's a solid choice. I'd rather so, land here. So than we didn't grow. I didn't grow up. I didn't see white people, bro, growing up at all. Really? Like none. Like if you if you were not a teacher, a police officer, a fireman, and you were not my friend. Uh huh. And we had two white guys in our classroom, Paul. Mm-hmm. And in my neighborhood, we had three, two white guys. It was um Johnny Hyde, and then I'm uh, Mr. Lou Hazen. And uh, let me tell you, man, these white guys that, that live in our neighborhood, they, they pretty much were Mexican now because they acted like Mexicans, even though they were white with blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh, sure. They assimilated to whatever, to their environment. Yeah. And um, and it was weird, man, like, to watch. Like, uh, to them, it, it was normal. It, wasn't, it, it didn't became weird till we got to school. And I remember my teacher, Mr. Root, he told everybody to bring a... a an album, your favorite music, and we're gonna break down the the lyrics. So my friend brought um Iron Man, you Black know? Sabbath, Black yeah. no Iron, sorry not Iron Man, Iron Maiden. Uh huh, um, close enough. The Number of the Beast album, sure. And Mr. Root played uh, Number of the Beast, and then he played the second song, and he got stuck on the second song. It will it will run to the hills. Oh, I've you know as an adult, I've looked back and tried to figure out what the fuck that's actually about. There's some yeah. Mm. So we didn't know what it was till the, our teacher broke it down to us, and then the whole song is about the 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 killing of the Native Americans. You know, yeah. A white man came across the sea. He brought us pain and misery. Yeah, these are British guys singing. You they know? are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's so, pretty, pretty. So he like broke raping, it down, raping the women. Yeah, so and, he's yeah. singing like that, and, we, and then we only had one white guy in our class. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, "Yeah." My my teacher was like, he was he got so overexcited. He he was um, he was in um Kent High Kent High College where they killed those. Oh, uh, Ford did it, Ohio. They made a song about that too. Yeah, uh, Kent State. Neil Young. Oh, Ford that sounds about right. Ohio. Mm-hmm. So he, my my teacher was from Kent. Yeah, and uh, so he was a very very political. I thought he I thought he was a white dude too, but he ended up being a Chicano. Oh yeah. His last name was just Root. But you know, so Yeah. Anyways, he made our our friend Paul feel like shit with his you know, his um rapport and what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. He got he got out totally off base and he got, and he started pointing at him and my friend Paul got up and said, Fuck you, Mr. Fuck you Root And then he just ran out of the classroom and never saw him again. Really? <laughs> Fuck. But it was. But I felt bad for him, you know. Like, like it's not. It, it was not his fault, you know. Mister Ruth should have had a different way. Should have had a different approach to explain what he was saying. Oh, kids don't know. Kids just. Grow I know, up man. He's little. little. Kids He's have twelve, no idea. thirteen. I know. I know. I, I, I constantly have to remind myself. I felt myself. like we should have told. We, we, I, feel, I, feel, I feel. Back then, even mm-hmm. though like Mister Ruth was right, but you know, we're not a university. We're not a university level. Your type of what you're telling us is too much for us to take. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you know? I, I, so, I, yeah, I talk to my seven year old son all the yeah. time. And I have to remind myself this guy's a moron. Yeah, this guy has no goddamn idea what because he seems like he's like a, I think yeah. he's like a smart kid, but he has he's never seen anything with his life. So I tell him stuff, and I and I'm like, I think he probably understands how racism works now. And it's like, no, he has no fucking idea. He's and a goddamn when, idiot. Mister, when Paul left, Mister Root said, "You see, that's what I'm freaking talking about." Oh. Oh, that guy had a chip on his shoulder. He did have a chip on his shoulder. Because later on, he brought his homeboy, his his friend, to just hang out in the classroom. And like, we'll talk about scripts, talk about Hollywood, talk about how movies are made. 
he never went back to literature or anything that had to do with English. Mm-hmm. So he had his own way of teaching. Yeah. So his friend came in. And he's doing a little speech about how Hollywood is, how hard it is to get into the movie business. And while Mr. Root would teach us, his friend would just sit there reading a newspaper. It's like, dude, you brought your pot dealer here? Right. That's kind of what it felt like. That's, I mean, looking back through the eyes of an adult, does that make any more sense now than it did then? Hell no. What the fuck was that? I, and then we had a, I had a teacher named Mr. Um, Mr. Wright, W-H-R-I-G-H-T. He was a math teacher, and he was like the only classroom that where all the you know, everybody had that classroom where everybody cuts class and ditches there. Yeah. So this class had like thirty eight kids, only twenty of them were registered. Hell yeah! And um, he was funny, man. He would do he would do like Hitler jokes. Wow. He would like put his hair. He would get a little his little comb, and make his hair like Hitler, and then grab the comb and make it look like a mustache. Classic. And then he'll do jokes like, two Jews walk into the bar. No, he'll, for real, he'll, like, he'll put it like this. He'll go, two Jews walk into a bar. And then he'll stay quiet. And they were never seen again. <laughs> we never got it. But we'll yell out, Mr. Wright, more Hitler jokes. Sure, if you got a teacher who's willing to go there, you yeah, don't he'll stop go him. there, bro. Yeah, you encourage that. Yeah. So that's how I grew up. My yeah. neighborhood. Mm. And, uh, pretty much the way I grew up. We saw the police. The police. I live, I live in a neighborhood where there was a lot of drug activity. Like, it changed by, by, by whatever drug was available. Whatever drug was hot. Started out with heroin mm-hmm. and then PCP. What year were you born? Oh, I can't tell you that. People steal my identity. <laughs> sure. Yeah, the <laughs> second part of the show is when we start uh, talking about your social security number. People, people will steal your identity, man. Yes. Yeah. If you disclose your age, that's that's bound your to age. happen. I'm just trying to place like how Wikipedia. how old you are. I, I grew up in the '80s. Okay, I grew, I grew up, up in the '80s. 80s. Right. 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 Yeah, man. When I was, I saw cassettes show up. Mm-hmm. I saw cassettes leave. Yeah, I saw was a CDs sad day. show up. Yeah, those were exciting. I remember, man. I, I was like, um, when I was a kid, you know, early late '80s. It was like '86, '87. I was in my late teens. I used to always go to punk rock shows. With my friends, and um, I don't know if you were, I don't know how old you are, but we used to tape trade. I'm 42. Everybody have at it. Oh, yeah. We, we, we used to tape trade, man. Yeah, sure. You remember that? Absolutely. That I used before. to, yeah, I used to do it through the mail. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a fun time. Like, like that was before internet, man. It was just so much fun. Yeah. You know what I, I used to own? I used to own uh, a little a little demo of the Beastie Boys when they were, when they did punk. Yeah, uh, the, the Dust yeah, the Dust Boys, the, something or, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I dated a girl who was all into, when they just they just called uh, uh, the they it's, called Carvel. Yeah, it sounded, and, they, and they just prank called them and wanted to talk to Cookie Puss over a beat, and yeah. that was the song. It sounded like they only had three instruments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like no. corrosion of conformity. Oh, I was just listening to Coc the other day. Yeah, they perform at the Olympic Auditorium over here. They do. Yeah, you can catch suicidal over there sometimes yeah. too. Yeah, old school. Oh man, I posted a photo um, last week. I, and it was just me wearing my suicidal Tennessee hat. Down low, right. And a corduroy vest because that's all I had. You know, my mom couldn't buy no leather. Uh-huh. And I wrote and I put a, uh, an anarchy flag behind it, the anarchy symbol, mm-hmm. with shoe polish. And then I, and I was wearing a scarf. Take that, the man. I was wearing a scarf. And I wrote, um, when you're trying to live that punk life, but your mom has to make you wear a, a scarf for the gig. Yeah. 
Yeah. All I wanted was a torta, but she wouldn't give it to me. Suicidal tendency hit me up on my post. Uh huh. And I said, "What's up, homie?" And I was like, "That's awesome. Mission accomplished." Yeah. No, I got a photo. I was in a band around that same time, right? And I got my parents. I took the craziest bed sheets that they had. It was this really ugly, like black and white swirly pattern. We hung it behind us, and that was that was the best we could do for for band pictures. You know, got a got a ride. Your mom give you a ride over to the band photo. Yeah, man. We we're badasses. Your mom, uh, is it true? I know you say in your comedy that she sold uh, Tupperware. Yes, yeah, she sold Tupperware. She sold Avon. She sold Crystal Promotion. What's Crystal Promotion? I have no. It's Crystal. It's like sexual crystals. Horrible Crystal, bro. Like, like a soap dish with a crystal, okay. a crystal. But no cup. healing properties. No healing properties. <laughs> and we sold uh, pillows. We were a hustler. Yeah. I, I got my hustle from my mom. I had a, we had a bit of that in our family too. My mom was uh, something called Toy Ladies. I don't know if that made it out here. There were these horrible toys. My mother literally went to people's homes and sold them toys with, with five, that, that, I right? didn't, that I didn't want. What do you mean? So she showed them the, sh- the toy and then they, they got it later or, or she had it with her? No, 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 no. Yes, yeah, she would have a, a, when you think about it now, like can you imagine if one of your friends said, hey, I'm selling this stuff. How about this? You throw a party at your house and invite me over and I'll try to sell you and all your friends stuff that none of you want. Damn. And that was just, and that wasn't like one asshole that was running that. That was like a sector of the economy was people going around doing stuff like that. That's what Tupperware, and at least Tupperware was, was an, cool. An herbal life. And I thought of you this morning. I'm listening to you making that joke on, on your album, and I drive past a bus stop by my house, and there's like one, there's two ladies sitting behind a table, and they're selling like, you know, like the, the box of Fritos, the individual yeah. bags, and like the watermelon juice and shit like that. Sure enough, right next to them, there's a lady, and she has um, a bunch of canisters of vitamin supplements. <laughs> That's still going on. <laughs> Herbal life. Yeah. I met the guy who invented the hot Cheetos. Oh, they're the the uh, Richard Montes. That guy's huge. Eva yeah. Longoria's making a movie about yes. him. Yes, or you should play him in the movie. I hope so, man. That that would be a really big break for you. The flaming hot Cheetos guy. It's probably, a crazy story for people who don't know. They probably get somebody more popular and famous like John Leguizamo. Mm, are we sure he's still more famous and popular than you? He has list, Latin history, right? The show he's doing. He, he's back to back his on up, to his one on man York. stuff. He's very. He's very fucking talented. I still think you're the guy to do Flamin' Hot Cheetos. People don't know the story. That was like, because uh, it, it sounds like some dumb, it sounds like an 80s movie. That yeah. Somebody accidentally spilled some tapatio inside a bag. You're right, bro. Like, uh, your peanut butter's in my chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It wasn't like the magic, the magical moment when the peanut butter cup was invented. Some guy actually planned that out. I had an uncle growing up, and um, you know the bootlegs? You know, growing up, everybody had those bootleg cassettes. Yeah. Well, my uncle, I didn't know that. My, my dad took me to Mexico with just me and him, no one else. He didn't tell me why I was going there or where I was going. So we get to Mexico. We go to this place called La Mesa. It's like this district of Mexico that's not as bad as everywhere else. And we go to the little warehouse. And um, there's a guy there who looks like Jimi Hendrix. And my uncle, who looks like Muammar Gaddafi. You know, my uncle's like, my uncle could pass African American. He is African American. But in Mexico, he's just a dark man. Like, he could, like he comes over here, he's a black man. Over there, he's just my uncle. But okay. over here, you know, like, because the way people think, you know, he's a black man, but he's still a black man in Mexico, too. So they're both there. My, da- my dad's there. The guy doesn't speak English, of course. The guy, the guy who looks like Jimi Hendrix, he's from America. 
So I'm there to translate him. To translate. Wait, there's a Jimi Hendrix looking guy selling bootleg cassettes no. in, in Mexico that doesn't speak English. That... No, my my uncle is the one who's selling bootleg. Oh, okay, ones. okay, okay. That man is there to fix the the dub machine, the one that I guess records all the albums and sends them out to ten and records them at the same time. Oh, sure. So yeah, we're yeah, yeah, yeah. They're high boot, speed dubbing. They're high speed dubbing here. Pretty much, I didn't know it was illegal. So I'm there and I'm uh, translating to my uncle everything to, and telling that other guy, well, my uncle wants this <laughs> fixed. He wants this done. He wants this done by this time and he wants to do it. He wants to pay you this type of money. Well, tell your uncle that I want this type of money and I'm only, I'm only going to do this. I don't bring my tools to do that. So that was me all day. All day. It seems like you've done a lot of translating. Yes, that was me all day. And um, I remember people coming in, 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 in and out all day with taking, like, piles of cassettes, like hundreds of them. And I didn't know. My uncle had everything. You, you thought Michael, these, you these, did, my, my uncle went platinum on bootleg <laughs> thriller. <laughs> God knows how many millions of sales Michael Jackson could have had had it not been for your uncle. So these would actually have like a knockoff of the cover and everything too? The knockoff on the cover, oh, but, the, okay. but the cassette had nothing on it. It was blank. Because I bought some bootlegs. This is what I thought you were going to say one time when I was in Mexico that had it had a handwritten cover that was then photocopied. I bought Barry White's greatest hits and you could actually hear the vinyl in between the songs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I should have. I it would have been much better off if I had run into your uncle's operation. Yeah, man. So I didn't even know that was what I was doing was like bad. No, I didn't get paid a dime either, dude. In the scheme of things, yeah. knocking off Michael Jackson, I think Michael Jackson did just fine. Who knows what horrible things he would have done if he'd made even more dollars? Yeah, man. You're like, kind of a hero if you think about it. Um, so we mentioned at the top. So I was solo cassettes yeah. at school. Oh, you got to junior high school. Oh, you must have been so the they man. Gave, they gave me like a box. And then one of my friends thought I was hooked on, I was like a, a heroin addict because I was always selling stuff. Oh, right? Yeah. Mm, but that's pretty good stuff to sell. Yeah, I was selling like for like three bucks each or five bucks. I think of a heroin guy as selling one-off things. Yeah. Like you'd be selling a jacket or a shoe or something like that. If you have inventory, that's a little too organized to be a heroin guy. I sold my mom's hairbrush to this heavy metal guy in my classroom. Like, he had, like, really cool long hair. And I told him, bro, I got the brush for that perfect hair. Yeah. And I, and I took my mom's brush, mm-hmm. and I took the hairs out, and I sold it to him for six bucks. And he was under the impression that this offered something to his hair that he couldn't get from whatever brush he already he owned? He bought it right in the spot. You're a natural salesman, huh? I am. Were you, were you like, a kind of person who was the center of attention back then? Is that something that's always uh, I don't know. naturally to you? I don't know. I was the loudest one. Yeah. So then, you know, we mentioned in the beginning uh, you had some issues with, uh, with drugs and, and stuff like that. How did that all get started? Like, what's mm. your story, basically? You finish school. How long is it between when you say finish high school and when you're doing stand-up? Four years. Okay. Yeah. But that's a long time back yeah, in between, then. Yeah. Those are like the formative, formative. Uh, every cool yeah, memory it, that I have happened in like an 18-month period. Yeah, because in, in those four years, yeah. I got somebody pregnant. I got hooked on crack. I did PCP. Yeah. I got jumped into a gang. I got jumped by another gang. I got shot at. I saw someone get murdered. Damn. I went to, uh, I went to, uh, I got a, I, they were looking for me. I was a witness, and I ended up testifying. 
And that person ended up doing like 30 years. Wait, the cops came looking for you because you were a witness? Yeah. And you didn't want no. to testify? I didn't want to testify. I didn't want nobody to know who I was. Yeah. So how does that work? When they find you, And they do they can they make you testify or do they just ask? Well, you I, really I was strong? actually there when it happened. Yeah. Like it, it, it all, when 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 everything went down, like the shooting and everything, I was pretty. I, I could have been a victim, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if like somebody somebody was watching my back, yeah. You know, but I I kind of like when I I left the crowd, and as soon as I left the crowd, that's when like the incident happened. And like this guy was coming that was not with us. It's like you're showing up, but we don't tell you why we're running, so you're not running. So they you cut bullets, you know. What I mean? Oh, I see. Somebody's going in while everybody else is getting the hell out. Yeah. So then, um, and when when uh, of course when the, when the when the police showed up, nobody left because everybody was worried about him, and they arrested everybody. And then I went, except me, because I, I went home. Mm-hmm. But then somebody dropped my name, so they were looking for me, and I didn't want nothing to do with it. No. So then you actually, yeah. What's that? What's that? Because it's one thing to go, yeah, I'll, I'll testify. But then, like the day comes, you got to get up there. You got to stand yeah. in front of people. It's fucking official. It yeah, smells I don't remember in that anything. Room. I don't remember. I don't remember testify. I don't, I don't remember what I was asked. I don't remember nothing of the, about, about the case. I was in there when that guy was sentenced. I, but there were so many witnesses. That was just one of them, you know. Yeah. But I remember, uh, um, I did a show at the Ontario Improv. Yeah. And um, I don't know if, who somebody approached me. I think the one of the victims, or see. no, it was a lawyer for the accused because he's trying to get out of prison. Right, it's been, it's been a long time now since oh. he's been in prison. Right, twenty years now. Sure, shit. Oh. As long as I've been in, doing stand-up comedy, twenty-two. So I think he was trying to get out as a as an innocent victim, like the, the innocence program. But dude, you did it, you know. Oh, because most of the people, most of the people that were witnesses are either dead or incredible anymore, or locked up. Mm-hmm. Since somehow he found out, somebody found out I'm doing stand up comedy. Somebody trying to get paid or trying to get me to recant my story. But I said, um, I said, hell no, I don't remember what happened no more. He goes, I don't remember my friends' names. I don't remember the victims' names no more. He goes, you're talking to the wrong person. Wow. So would, at, they they approached me at the meet and greet, bro. Oh, dude, I've been out there. And it's like a great big mall. Yes, and like yeah, you want to buy a CD? You want yeah, a picture? Sure. Nah, man, what you recap that story? Oh fuck, right. <laughs> but it was like a lawyer, and um, but they stopped bothering me. So, like immediately after you testify, you you said you're one the only person that did yeah. it. But like, how long do you walk around? With that pretty much at the front of your mind that there might be something bad that happens because I did that. Yeah, that's got to be my months. life. Jeez. So yeah. So pretty much after that, that's when I started doing the drugs. After that, because I was paranoid and all that. So it wasn't a fun way that you did drugs. It was no. a shitty way. It was like yeah. an escapism kind of way. So I feel like. Does that make it easier to get off when you start? Like I feel like people who had a really really good run with drugs, like everybody on VH1, who were like. Was like Def Leppard and was getting blowjobs under the stage for twenty years. It's like wow. kind of sad when they're like, "Shit, we should probably this yeah. isn't really working anymore." But if you get into it for bad reasons, then there's got to be a part of you the whole time that's like, "This can't, this can't be me. I gotta get out of this." Yeah, it can't be me. Right. Like when I, was, hey, hey, Michael Irving. Really? Yeah. What's up? Yeah, live, real Bellamy. <laughs> What's up, buddy? 
That's my dude. I What's up, Pooh? It's actually better if somebody just jumps into an interview if they start making noise. Yeah. People have to take our word for it. There's just a whole other human being in this room. I, I, I read uh, Bill Ballamy from MTV Comedian. I love that guy. I thought, but at first, at first I saw just the top part of his glasses. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Michael Irving from the Cowboys. Of, yeah, but it was too. He's taller. <laughs> so okay, so when you start doing stand up, you're obviously not getting paid for it. No. So what are you doing? What jobs have you? Oh, I was working at what uh, occupations. Have you had? I was working at Dodger Stadium, seasonal worker. Mm-hmm. I was working there from April to October. Okay. And um, like peanuts here. No, I will cook. I was okay. making hot dogs. Dodger dogs. Dodger dogs. Boil, um, grilling them, serving beer, making Cokes, nachos, pretty much everything needs to, needs to be d- done back there. Mm-hmm. And I also used to work, I used to, be, I used to work from 7 o'clock in the morning, a security guard at this um, government facility over here in Silmar called Ally Signal. They make sonars for, air, for, for, for boats and some submarines. Someone told me they make those top secret stuff. Cool. But they told me they make them there. Were you so, like a good employee? No, I was a horrible employee. I, 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 I don't work for them. I work for a security company. Mm-hmm. I just know what they do. Oh. So I check them in. All right, Bill. Good to see you. Dude, those security You have your badge? Guys. All right, I know you. Come on in. If you can stand yeah. the boredom, that seems like the greatest job on earth. Because I always think about that. When I go to the CVS and there's always yeah. like a 65-year-old man who's security, like, if the shit goes down, that guy's running faster than I I'm going to help you. No way. What a fucking awesome job. You just drive around in a golf cart in a parking lot all night. Yeah, I, I, I just sat there. I just write bits. Mm-hmm. I see silly things that happen. So I will work there from 7 to 3. And then after that, I will go to Dodger Stadium and do my my restaurant duties there. So they used to, when Hidel Noma was playing, sure. he, he, they, they opened up a Yoshinoya in Dodger Stadium. Beef bowls. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I made beef bowls no all Mania day was running long. Out. Yeah. So I did that. And then after that, I, w- I would get off at work at 6, no, at 10 or 9. Then I would go to the comedy store until I do like a midnight show or anywhere around there. Yeah. It was a different time around then, right? There weren't many people at the comedy store. Hell no. It was empty. What was that? Why did people, like, stand-up was really big in L.A. and it's really huge now. Why the fuck did tourists stop coming to see it in the middle? I have no idea. Where were they? Were they at the improv? They were at Fat Tuesdays, bro. What the hell's Fat Tuesdays? Fat Tuesday was the biggest night they had. I think Fat Tuesday saved the comedy store during those times. Oh, that's a night. That's a black the black night. Oh. They have Fat Tuesday with... um. With Guy Tory and Dan and Green, mm-hmm. and their shows started up at the Ballet Room, and they moved to the moved to the main room two weeks later. Oh shit! And these shows were packed, bro. Like if you got on that show, you probably, you could be a star. I mean, Nick Cannon, when he was like barely a teenager, did that show, and then he was on Nickelodeon. He was on that before he was on Nickelodeon. Yeah, he, he was. Just, he started doing stand up in San Diego. What was his act like when he was a I child? Have no idea. No idea what was that was like. Probably a lot of talking. But funny yeah, enough to make, it so. a, to make it on television. Yeah, I guess you only have to be that good. The bar is a little lower for a 13-year-old stand-up. So that that night was, like, super packed. I remember um, they, never got to, they never gave me a, a spot there, but I, I used to hang around to mm-hmm. see who was there. A lot yeah. of famous black um, basketball players, Shaquille. But I saw Farrakhan there, Farrakhan's son. Really? Yeah, and he came to the show, and he was driving, like, a red Ferrari. And then he he had his bodyguards, the F F O I Fruit of Islam. Oh, I'm not familiar with their work. Yeah, the Fruit of Islam. They're like the the people that um that stand behind that Farrakhan? group was that group was started by Malcolm X. Oh yeah, because Farrakhan was up in that mix yeah. too. That's yeah, right. So, yeah. 
the fruit of Islam is like the the mus the muscle, you know, for um for um the nation of Islam. So these guys had they have continental trucks, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, they go they come out of the parking lot of the where where that bar is, wherever they parked at, right? One of them gets out and stops traffic like the president of the United States is going to come out. Like, he really stopped traffic on sunset. And then his Ferrari came out. No, two cars started rolling in front of him. And then his Ferrari. And then they left like a motorcade. I thought that was crazy. I didn't even know that Farrakhan had kids. Me neither. But that day his son was there with a red Ferrari. So you have, uh, you, you have more than one child? I have three kids. Okay. Well, how old? Can we can we talk about in general terms how old these are? My, my son is my my youngest son. He's twenty two. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Twenty three. What? I had my first kid when I was eighteen. When I was right. seventeen in high school. Would you be different as a dad than I would guess? Like, what sort of dad would you say you are? I'm one of those dads that does, I I feel bad that I don't feel bad. What do you mean by that? Like, I just I should be feeling bad, but I don't feel bad. You know. Are the kids okay? My kids are fine. They well, grew up with go. their mom. Oh, I see. Yeah, they grew up with their mom. I saw my kids every once in a while, but the first two kids, I didn't see them later on in life. I didn't see them till they were adults. Oh, all right. Because the mom took off with another man, and you know, it's complicated. So I went to, when I went to rehab, I was gone for about a year and a half. So in that time, they met somebody else and they started their own lives. You were off in rehab for that long? Yeah. Shit. Oh, there for a year, and then living um, there, living there. Like, I was there for a year because it was a year program or six months. And uh, when I got out, I went back to the streets. I felt like the, there was nothing in the, in the streets for me but more crime and problems. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I just volunteered and I became like a a guy who took care of the camp when everybody was gone. And I helped make meals. And So you went back to like to the rehab and worked there. Yeah. Cause that, I didn't get paid. I just volunteered. No, I get it. It's like a stable place. It's, you, it's not so much where you want to yeah. be. It's just you I don't want to be. I there for as long as I wanted. Yeah. Because we also had a, they had a sober living home. So so when you come out of the live, live again recovery home, they, they won't put you out in the streets, you know, to yeah, deal you with the bullshit. Transition. So they put you in this sober living home with other <sighs> guys and they have their own narcotics and other me- meetings in the house mm-hmm. that you could attend. So I lived there for about a week, but it was too far from my house. It was in the valley. So, and um, me and the guy got along good and he was Mormon and I was like Catholic. But, um, we just um he he um it was too far and um he didn't have a car and I didn't have a car so we couldn't really go nowhere. Yeah. So we were stuck there just walking around the our street back and forth with our Bible. Yeah, I used to live next to one of those with the guys walking up and down their street. That's not a that's not a permanent solution either. No, I didn't want to do that either. Yeah. So I, I just um I went to my um I'm Catholic, so I went to the archdiocese. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my, I'm a hustler. I know where to get help. You know, I know where the free benefits are at. I know where to get everything because I talk to people. So, someone told me to go to the archdiocese office. It's that where Catskins go for help. So I went through a free application, and every month for six months, they gave me a, a monthly bus pass and fifty bucks. Look at that! <laughs> Look at that! Finally, the church getting some positive press. Yeah. So, um. Oh no, man! If you ever need help, man, go to a, pick a religion that you're gonna like uh-huh. and stick to it. Like, especially like I would say, Mormons. 
They're very, very, very nice. They're extremely nice. They will give you a gallon of milk if you need it. They'll help you out. Yeah. So bland, though. So bland. But you got to sit there with them, man. And, and also uh, the, the other one, Seventh Adventist. Oh, Another I'm not familiar one, with the Seventh Day Adventist. They're vegetarian, story. though. Okay. They're vegetarian, but they're also great. Could be worse. Catholic, man, is one of the best. I don't the something crazy, man. Um, when... um. When um, that um, thing started, uh, 187, I guess, or they're going to deport people during um, Clinton era, I think, or Clinton or Bush, one of those. Mm-hmm. Everybody had to get registered. A lot of illegal immigrants went to go hide in our church, Dolores Mission Church, and Father Greg Boyle let them stay there. So um, they were living there in the church during, at night, you know, and in the daytime they would go do their business, work, and then come back oh, okay. and hide. But the church started stinking, like, you know, like somebody slept there. Right. That's not really a house. Yeah. And I remember being there at my for the Sunday service, the English service. And um, somebody that was that showed up to the church, drunk, yeah, like, it smelled like fucking feet in here, eh? And I remember I, I did a bit about it last week, and I got a big laugh. I said, you know, it's all good to help out, you know, illegal immigrants, you know, but how about putting foot powder on this carpet? Doesn't seem like too much to ask. Not too much to ask. Um, I don't want to talk about politics and stuff like that, but I would imagine your tour is the Bad Ombre tour, obviously. Bad Ombre. We were, we were going to call it the Bad Ombre tour, but mm-hmm. we want um, white people to show up too, and you know, conservative people. Yeah. You know, I don't want you to pick, think this show is political. No. Because it's not. So we call it the Bad Ombre because I know everybody's going to mispronounce it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there I go. Then we're safe. So <laughs> we did. I mean, but usually, Bad Hunger, you know, mm-hmm. in Spanish, it's called Bad Hunger. Oh, okay, okay. So you do shows in in English and in Spanish. You must have like two separate acts, right? Same act. How that seems difficult. Same act, but without um, no play on words in in Spanish. So they don't translate in English. Yeah, that's exactly. And the English ones don't translate in Spanish. Uh huh. But as far, but lately, like I've been doing, I've been trying this for six months. I am a Spanish speaker, but not a great one, as I noticed lately. Why do you? Why is that coming to your attention now? Because I, I don't speak Spanish as much as everyone else thinks that Mexicans speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like like most Mexicans who grew up here in America, I would say they they know just as much Spanish as they do English. <laughs> like myself. Right. I grew up speaking both languages, but then once I left my house, I don't speak Spanish every day anymore. Sure. So I forgot a bunch of words. And I don't know the big words, you know, like when I watch the when I get interviewed for Telemundo, I, I got a time to slow down, eh? Slow down. Chichen Chong level for me. Okay. And, um, but my joke's been translating well. How, like, how long have you been doing stuff? Six months. That's it? Yeah. This is new? This is new. Why? Why now? Why now? Because I, I see, like, a lot of Mexican comedians on, like, um, getting specials, and when they talk, and the references, and everything they say, I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't understand one joke. Like, I don't know, okay, my mom is probably laughing at you, but I'm not. Uh-huh. So I want to do a special for people who, who are like me, yeah. who speak Spanish, but want to see uh, a, a Mexican who actually grew up in America do Spanish stand-up for us. So this, I'm, I'm bringing a, my genre, my American life in Spanish for the people. It's like uh, when you watch, a, just say you watch a British comedian, mm-hmm. and, and he comes to America, and he's playing, his stand-up special is playing. You know, you get it. But they might say something about the queen or something about, oh, yeah. or you might not get the word because they say, we say garage, they say garage, 
you know, we say vacation, they say holiday. Yeah, what the fuck's a water closet? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and um, nice, I don't know what they, what they call shoes, but they're not sneakers. Uh, uh, trainers. Trainers! See? <laughs> you got your trainers on? Yeah, he's right here. I lived there for about nine months. I speak, I speak a little bit of British. Yeah, my daughter, she lives in Sweden. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I have a daughter, and um, she got married and moved out to, she lives in Sweden, she lives in Stockholm. Okay. I'm she sure blends, they've got their own words as well. She blends in right in. I'm sure. <laughs> You're never able to pick her out. And um, like some words don't translate. Like, I, I don't know how to say some words. Like I, I was do- joke about I did my ancestry DNA. And um, in, in, in Spanish, it's not um, yo hice mi prueba de DNA. It's not, you don't say DNA because you're saying it in English. It's ADNA in Spanish. Ancestro de. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Right. But I didn't know that. So in, in Spanish, is in, in English, I just did my ancestral DNA. But in Spanish, it's supposed to be, yo hice mi prueba de ADN. Because in, that's the way it's supposed to say it. Right. And I didn't know that until so somebody corrected me on stage, which thank you very much, miss. Sure. So now I've been saying it the right way and it works out. But it makes you wonder what else are you doing wrong? Yeah. My, the same people that come see my English show in English come to see my Spanish show. I've noticed, but when they they come with their parents, which I, that was the goal, you know, to get their parents to come to watch my show. That's just the that way was they the watch, master plan. Just the way they watch the Venezuelan comedian and the Peruvian comedian. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, like when all, all these specials you see from Spanish comedians mm-hmm. that are that are airing now on on like on like on Amazon or Hulu, whatever's buying in Spanish comedy, my mom gets it. You know, these guys might be from Peru, but I don't get it. So I want to do a Spanish comedy special that everybody here in America gets. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. I don't care if they don't get it in Spain. Yeah. I'll grab maybe a a hundred of you guys. That's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, but I want everyone, every Spanish speaker, whether you're Dominican or Peruvian or Cuban, to understand what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, no, that's a niche. That's just sitting there for you. So I'm waiting for that to happen. And, And if it works out well... I'm going to one day do a show, a bigger show in Spanish. It makes sense to me. Uh, well, let me say one last thing. Uh, you're, you're you're vegan. That was mildly yes. surprising to me. Um, what sort of food do you eat? Okay. Like, this morning I just ate um, toast. and um, Perfectly vegan. And butter. You the, the butter was natural. What do you mean? Fo- natural, follow your heart natu- natu- butter. What the hell is that? I don't even know. They make butter out of coconut oil. Okay. And Almond oil. Mm-hmm. They put salt and whatever other stuff they put in it makes it taste like butter. Okay. Sorry. So I had that. Oatmeal is fine. Yes, you can have that. With almond right. milk. Mm-hmm. Acai bowls is just frozen fruit mm-hmm. with peanut butter, honey, coconut, shredded coconut, strawberries, blueberries. That's delicious. So you don't drink. You're vegan. Yeah. Um, are you concerned about becoming underweight? Underweight? Yeah. Oof. I'm not. No problem. Yeah. I started off at 310. Now I'm at 288. Yeah, man. I started working out for the first time in a long time. I, a, I got a treadmill at my house, mm-hmm. and I'm finally using it. Um, I got to wrap up with you. Uh, I want to talk about all the stuff that you're doing. What's up with your Netflix show? Netflix show? Uh, Yentify? Hentify. Hentify. Thank you. Hentify is a show It's produced by America Ferrara mm-hmm. from Superstore, who I, co- I, I was on Superstore. Sure, yeah. And... I had a chance to be on this show when there was a cable, when it was just an internet show, because mm-hmm. it was just on, on the internet. But I couldn't do it because of my schedule. But now, 
that the show got picked up by Netflix. They have a whole new cast. And they have ten episodes or six? Ten episodes. So I'm I'm probably like, I'm, I might be in like six episodes out of ten. What's that show all about? The show's about um a family who lives in Boyle Heights, where I grew up. Sure. So Boyle Heights is part of the it's a it's a character in the show. It's about how the neighborhood being um gentrified and how it's affecting the the people who are living there and how some of the kids who are living there are actually gentrifying the the the, the neighborhood by not moving. Gotcha. Yeah, so most of these people on the show are the are the, like the the Mexican Americans of the neighborhood who didn't who are not moving out of the neighborhood was being gentrified and they're doing their own gentrifying on their own. What do you mean by that? But well, most of the kids, you know, they live in a home that their 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 parents own the home, mm-hmm. so they're they're not selling the home. Mm-hmm. So by not selling it, there's not gonna be no hipster living there. Fuck yeah! So they're they're gonna they're like the they're the hipsters of their own neighborhood. I got gotcha. Basically, what the neighborhood the, the show's about. Gotcha. About a kids who are just um laying low and wasting their lives by living at home too. It's just imagine hipsters moving into a cool spot with their parents. <laughs> gotcha But that's how it looks like And I'm like the It's a serious show and It's not I'm a like comedy? The, I'm like the comic relief of the show Oh okay I assume the whole thing was a comedy It's not a, a, It's not a serious show right? It's a dramedy Oh yeah And I'm the amity <laughs> You're the amity part of that formula? That's great What's funny was this man When I went to go to, um, Get my costume For the rehearsal The dress mm-hmm. rehearsal I was wearing the exact clothes they gave me like out of it, yeah. The the clothes they wanted me to wear, I was already wearing it, sweats and a Hawaiian t shirt. So they just dressed you as you. Yes, yeah, me. It's like they did the research. It's like they gave me this role. That's solid. That's what I was hoping all my whole life, you know. Just getting to play you. My career, like as far as movies go, I always think about John Travolta. You know, his career was pretty much done after Baby Talk Four. You know, once the dog started talking, it was, yeah, it was done. Man. Yeah, he was DOA. And then here comes Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. a young little director, puts him in a movie. Yeah. So that's been my that's been my movie career. People just put me in their movies when they when they need somebody, and that's how I got on Superstore. And it's a Cinderella story. Congratulations! Everybody can get tour dates to your tour at Felipe'sWorld dot com. Yes. And check out the What's Up Fool podcast. And October fourth, I'll be at the. Microsoft Theater, and this week, this Friday, I'll be in El Paso at the Palace Theater, and the next day I'll be in Corpus Christi at the Selena Bank Center. There you go, Selena. Also, man, if you're listening, some of the proceeds of the El Paso Paso show will go to um, the El Paso Community Fund Foundation. Now people pretty much have to go. They have to go. All right, thank you, buddy. Thank you.